0: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to
1: Trek FM.
0: Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 4 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today is Part 3 in our series on Jerry Taylor and her work as a producer, where we will be looking at her second television production, Blue Thunder. I'm Mike, and Max is still on his away mission to the planet of wedding planning... And uh, John has joined him as well, so what can you do, you know, the holidays? However, we have a pinch hitter this week, Tisto from Tisto.com. How's it going, Tisto?
1: It is great. Thanks for inviting me. This is great.
0: <laughs> so don't be thanking me yet. We're going to be talking about Blue Thunder, but um, thank But I you- love
1: Blue Thunder. I love helicopter TV shows of all kinds.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, then that's good. I'm I'm glad that we were able to get you on the show. But yeah, thank you for stepping in at the last minute. I really do appreciate it. Um, when it comes to obscure '80s television shows, I know I can always count on you.
1: Yes. <laughs> Sadly, yes.
0: <laughs> so, so for those people who don't know, I know we've had you on the show before, but uh, you're you do audio commentaries for movies and, and TV shows over on your website, right? That's
1: right, yes, testo.com, T-Y-S-T-O.
0: And have you done Blue Thunder yet?
1: I have not done Blue Thunder. I haven't uh, watched Blue Thunder in a long, long time. I sort of watched the beginning of it again not too long ago, and uh, I was struck by something weirdly creepy about it, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. Okay, well, you're talking about the movie. We're going to be talking about the TV show, but
0: before we talk about the TV show, let's talk about the movie. Um, Now, I've never seen this thing. I've always heard about it because the people who, who who were working on it were like crazy, insane, and like a big mishmash of like weird people who you'd never think would be together, but they're all great people. And it was kind of cool to see it's like all of these people like gathered together to make a movie about helicopters. Um, but yeah, it's... it's uh, the show is based on this movie, which came out just seven months prior to the show, less than seven months prior to the show. It came out in May of 1983. It starred Roy Scheider of Jaws fame. It was directed by John Badham, who I know has done a million movies. Uh, the one that I'm most familiar with is Point of No Return for some reason. But didn't he do like Saturday Night Fever and stuff like that?
1: Um, yeah, I think, I think so.
0: And uh, he's he's a good director. I mean, he's been around forever. Um, done a lot of like action stuff. He did he did war games and um, yeah, he did do Saturday Night Fever, Short Circuit. Yeah. Yep. And uh, oh, he's he's also a director on Constantine. Oh wow, he directed for Nikita. Oh, that's weird because he's Point of No Return. Anyway, um, so,
1: <laughs> well, those go together though. But they, it, they do. It sort of makes
0: sense. <laughs> it's, it's weird that they're like, let's get the guy who made Point of No Return to do this nikita remake again yeah (laughs) and it was written by dan o'bannon and don jacoby or jacoby i don't know how you pronounce it dan o'bannon of course is the guy who wrote alien and dark star and a million other awesome movies total
1: recall yeah, yeah,
0: yeah yeah total recall and uh don would you say Jacoby or Jacoby, J A K O B Y.
1: Uh that I don't I don't know that,
0: yeah. All right, Jacoby, I would say Jacoby. Let's say Jacoby. He's he's written a million movies too, including like Vampires and uh Double Team, I think. <laughs> with uh, Dennis Rodman? Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, John Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman.
0: Yeah, so he's he's really good, too. I mean, vampires, I love vampires. Yeah, he's really good, yeah. <laughs> no, but vampires. Have you seen vampires?
1: Uh, vampires was, that was uh, uh, um, Carpenter. Yes. Vampires, right? Yes, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. with James Woods.
0: Uh, the movie's excellent. And Dan O'Bannon wrote Dark Star, Carpenter's first movie. So Carpenter protege is all over the place, I guess. Mm-hmm. You've seen the movie. What do, what do you think about it?
1: Uh, it came out in that time in the early 80s that, uh, you know, Reagan and Thatcher were in, in office and there was this resurgence of American um, uh, military patriotism and, that came, you know, we, we got this and stuff like uh, Red Dawn and stuff like that uh, kind of coming out. And it strikes me, revisiting the, the film a little bit, how... It's basically people saying, wouldn't it be awesome if the cops had military equipment, like helicopter gunships? That would be great, right? And then the first thing they do is show you how horrible that would be. Roy Scheider and Daniel Stern are in their regular Jet Ranger police helicopter at the beginning. And they are spying on this woman who does aerobics in the nude (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and and then things progress, and we get oh, like, oh, we're we're gonna have a new uh, like super military uh, stealth helicopter, and the and they show them how to use it, and then the first thing they do is go and spy on a woman in the nude again. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean that's what you creepy. want from
0: your uh, police force, right? With yeah, it's
1: this- very creepy. <laughs> But it's all—it it was that 1980s stuff of you know Rambo and Red Dawn and even RoboCop. Although RoboCop is obviously kind of a parody of that uh, kind of idea. Um, but that's the way, that's the world we lived in at the time.
0: I guess so. I mean, even Rambo seems like when it started off, it was sort of like the antithesis of that, and it became something different as right. it grew. You know. So so basically, it's just like the, these guys—they get like a super duper fancy helicopter and they go around and fight crime
1: yeah it's, so you get this super new weapon and then you got to use it against somebody who, that requires a super new weapon to uh, to fight
0: right okay so it seems like it, it could lend itself to a television show i can see how that could
1: oh for sure yeah i mean because there, yeah, there, there, there are lots of tv shows like emergency and um uh, stuff like that that came out of the 70s that um this would have been a great well, I mean, Knight Rider and stuff like that was uh, the same kind of idea with a car, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So they didn't waste any time with with this show. It was, you know, January of 1984 when it actually aired. So, I mean, if you think about it, it's like if they had made a season zero of Blue Thunder... Then the time in between is like the same as a normal show. It's like they did, you know, now you hear about shows where they, the pilot, you know, is in development and it comes out like two years later. It's like they were not wasting any time. They were like movie, success. All right, let's start shooting this tomorrow,
1: right? Yeah, the movie was a big success, I, I recall that. I don't know uh, at what point they, they thought it could be a TV show, because um, Airwolf started up around that time as well, and I have to think that, I mean, that that aired about the same time, and I have to wonder if maybe there was some, um, you know, some rumors going around that made them hurry up uh, the the TV show, which is maybe why it was not a success.
0: <laughs> maybe, they were like... Airwolf is stealing our blue thunder.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, Someone probably said that.
0: (laughs) And they're going to hell. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess this type of thing does happen. You see it all the time. You know, it, it happens, you know, even today where a similar idea comes out in multiple forms, you know, back to back or whatever. We had the volcano movies in 1990 seven i believe and the mm-hmm. asteroid movies in 1998 and there was one just recently i forget but uh i guess back in 1984 it was all about the helicopter tv shows
1: so oh white house down and olympus has fallen i probably is what uh, you're thinking of there you go there you go that was a good one those
0: are both really good i like those anyway so blue thunder the tv show aired in 1984 it stars james Farentino who I'm not really too familiar with. I know that he was on like ER and stuff like that, right? But he never really seemed like a huge star to me.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. He's kind of a, a, a B-list actor, I suppose. Uh, he's doing an amazing uh, Roy Scheider impression, though, in the in the pilot. <laughs> to be sure, he, he there are moments when it was when it just feels like wow, that that feels exactly the way Roy Scheider played the character.
0: <laughs> they did change the character's name, so technically, this is a different. Uh, character and and um but the the captain was weird because the captain has the same last name but they changed his first name. So I don't know what the implication there is. I guess in the movie he was played by Warren Oates and this one he's played by some other guy who I I had never seen before. But the really weird casting which is going on in this show are the supporting characters. For one you've got Dana Carvey <laughs> as the computer whiz I'm assuming this. Don't is... call me Jaffo! <laughs> exactly, and then and then you've got the, the the ground team, which, from what I can tell, is is an addition to the uh, the the team that wasn't in the movie. And yes, the, the... the
1: Rolling Thunder ground team is what they call them. Exactly, which was a, which was itself a, the title of a, a Stallone movie, right? I
0: guess it was right. Yeah, crossover. All right, <laughs> and Rolling Thunder consists of. Dick Butkus and Bubba Smith, two former football players who are playing former football players. Uh, Bubba Smith's character is named Bubba. Dick Butkus' character is not named Dick, but he did used to play for the Chicago Bears, which Dick Butkus did do in real life.
1: Yeah, his character's name is Butowski.
0: Yeah, yeah. The show was executive produced by Roy Huggins, the guy who created The Fugitive, though I don't really know how much he had to do with it because he didn't write any of the episodes or anything like that. Um, I get the impression that the showrunner was the co-executive producer, David Messinger, who uh, co-wrote the pilot with Taylor and would later go on to marry Taylor. Um, The two of them worked together on Quincy prior, prior to this, And uh, this was coming off like the year after Quincy ended. Um, As we discovered last week, uh, Taylor seemed to be developing a Quincy spinoff show starring Barry Newman, which never uh, made it off the ground. So instead, uh, it looks like she jumped on to uh, Blue Thunder um, because, you know, that's how television works.
1: Can I say I almost begged to be on your Quincy M E uh episode? <laughs> that was a great show, man.
0: I, I wish I wish we would have known. We would have totally had you on. But <laughs> it was a great show. I had never seen it before, but it was
1: it was pretty cool. And Jack Klugman gets all the girls. It's just bizarre. It's a fantastic show.
0: Taylor uh wrote the the pilot for Blue Thunder, unless you consider the movie to be the pilot, which I guess it kind of is, along with uh Messinger. And that was the only episode that the two of them actually wrote themselves. Now, this episode is it's weird, you know, like, because I, I, I hadn't seen the movie, and I'm like, boy, do I really want to watch this movie? Because everyone says it's so bad. I don't think I do. I think I'm just going to jump right in as as a, 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 I'm sure a large portion of the audience did back in 1984 and just, you know, ignore the movie. And... Having done that, it's it's really weird seeing because they have that whole demonstration at the beginning, right? Yeah. Where uh, Dick Buckkiss and Bubba Smith, they show up in Rolling Thunder and they're late. And then they sit down and then you've got the the captain or whoever. And,
1: and they're a, like a bickering gay married couple, I think. Exactly. I think Very that's progressive. what they're going for. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and then the captain is... Um, you know, giving a demonstration about this new helicopter called Blue Thunder. And he says, he even says, like, as many of you know, Blue Thunder is this. Like, as those of you who have seen the movie know, (laughs) (laughs) like, he pretty much flat out said that. But for those of you who haven't seen the movie, we're going to give you a demonstration of uh, its capabilities. And then they do. And then this is where I, you know, I got to the point where I'm like, is this just like a thing that they did back then? Or is this the villain from the movie coming back? But the whole premise of this particular episode is that there's a guy out there who's been like bombing police helicopters and stuff like that. And he's uh, James Farantino's. You know, arch enemy and Farentino thought that he had captured him, but he hadn't. And now he's on the loose and he's basically just like a mad bomber, kind of like uh, Dennis Hopper in Speed.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got that vibe too.
0: But you don't really know why he's doing it and they never really explain it. And then basically over the course of the episode, they catch him and then they stop him. And then that's the end of the episode.
1: Well, they, yeah, he's played by Richard Lynch, which is, who's a, a strange, um, sort of Rutger Hauer looking guy with, his, but, uh, yeah, he plays a guy named PVC and he just, uh, hates our hero and is, uh, he's shooting people, he's shooting down police helicopters with a, um, with an old like fighter bomber plane.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. So they need to send off, uh, you know, Blue Thunder and have them have him have Blue Thunder take him
1: down. But, and, and I love, I love too how their captain is against it. He's against the idea of like there's a there's a there's an airplane out there who is shooting up our police helicopters, and we have Blue Thunder, the militarized police helicopter. And he's like, no, no, we're gonna do this by the book. We're not gonna we're not gonna send our our helicopter t- t- to chase down this guy. Let's like, how? What other perfect application is there? Crowd control.
0: <laughs> you know, you know what it felt like actually to tie this back into Star Trek because it felt like Star Trek First Contact, where uh, the Borg attack Earth and they're like, well, we're not going to send in the brand new flagship of the fleet with the captain who has uh, fought the Borg and, and beat him uh, or beat them uh, on multiple occasions. Instead, we're going to tell them to scan the neutral zone and stay out of it because it's too personal for the captain and we don't want him to be emotional about this. Right? I mean, yeah, that
1: is. Yeah, yeah, true.
0: That's like the whole thing with James Farantino. You know, he's like, he wants me. I need to go get him. And they're like, <laughs> no, we're not going to send you because he wants you. I mean, I, I didn't quite understand that. But I guess it makes sense in police captain logic.
1: Well, not only that, but yeah, if James Farantino, uh actually goes after uh, PVC in Blue Thunder uh, when he is, you know, he's given a clue about where to, where to meet him and they have this tussle. And then for some reason, Jerry Sferentino is really mad at his captain because nothing came of that <laughs> encounter. And instead, uh, there, you know, a bunch of, uh, cocaine came in through the Harbor and, and I'm like, wait a minute, how can you blame that on your captain? You, you let him go. L- like nobody knew about the cocaine coming in on the Harbor. It's just a, just like nonsense plotting.
0: Yes, that's true. That's true. And then it, it seemed like the non-use of advanced weaponry was like a thing in this show, too, you know? It's like, we've got Blue Thunder, we're not going to use it. Uh, at one point, Dick Buckus is like, we've got these great rocket launcher things, that'll totally take them out. <laughs> and they're that's like, right. you know, those are way too dangerous, you know, we're not going to let you use them. And it's like, well, what is what does Rolling Thunder do then, exactly? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're not going to use the, uh, the, the rockets, uh, instead we're going to use our militarized helicopter against him. It's just a bizarre, uh, kind of motivation.
0: Yeah. So, so what were your thoughts on this episode, uh, on the whole?
1: Well, on the whole, it felt a lot like, a, a, a plenty of other successful TV shows from the eighties, like, uh, Knight Rider and, and that and that sort of thing, uh, the A team and that sort of thing. Um, where our heroes are, you know, they've got a, a police captain who hates them and who is going to uh, make them toe the line if, it, if he can, but of course our heroes are, uh, are uh, rogues who are going to go and do things their own way. And uh, get themselves in trouble, but there will always be heroes in the end. I mean There's a lot of that feeling to it, you know, um, and, and it really feels like they're ticking the boxes. I mean, Dana Carvey at one point is talking about all about how how big of a computer whiz he is. And he's 24 years old and, and that sort of thing. And uh, you got Dick Buckus and Bubba Smith uh, in Rolling Thunder just itching to you know, get their hooks into some bad guys and really mix it up in a fist fight or something. It just feels like it's all there, but man, the the writing, I think, just uh, makes it fall apart.
0: Yeah, which is too bad. Um, I can see, you know, I, I'm not too familiar with, with these types of shows from that era, but, you know, the, the, the types of things which I, I remember being on when I was a kid, but I've never, like, really gone back and, and watched them thoroughly or anything like that. But, it really did feel like something from that time period, you know, one of those A team type of shows, like you're saying. I, that's what I kept on thinking. It was like this is like A team, but with a big helicopter, and um, you know, I I like that. You know, as much as I I think this episode and, and this show, I'm guessing on the whole was really really bad. It's not bad in the sense where that I I can't watch it, you know, like I, I just need to turn it off and anything like that. I mean, I,
1: it's still endearing in some way. It's it is very watchable. I agree. Yeah, I mean, most of the actors do. I think a perfectly good job with very bad material, and uh, you know, there's plenty of explosions and and gunfire and uh, no blood. You know, nobody 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 dies on camera. Yeah, yeah, which is nice. But
0: I also feel like. It's a concept which is not suited for the small screen. I mean, like, I don't know how they did it on Airwolf, but I know that, you know, they said, I I read somewhere, that uh, a lot of the footage of the helicopters and everything like that was basically stock footage which was shot for the movie, you know, which they had left over, because working on a a weekly television budget, you can't have elaborate air... Fights, air battles, you know, on, on a weekly basis, you
1: know? Yeah, I, think, I think a lot of those shows suffered the same kind of uh, problems. Um, uh, Riptide, I don't know if you remember that show, but that was like a pair of detectives who had their own, um, I think it was a Chinook helicopter painted pink, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then you had Airwolf. And those shows inevitably end up grounding our heroes. Um, the car-based shows did a little bit better just because it's easier to, you know, to film around a car and you can replace cars more easily. So stuff like Knight Rider and and, and the Dukes of Hazzard, uh, um, I think ha- had a little more practical approach to things, but yeah, inevitably you do, you're going to, I think you're going to park the helicopter and run in and, and have an entire episode inside uh, some bad guy's base or something.
0: Right. And you know, this is the pilot. I'm assuming that there is probably more helicopter action in this than in any other episode. And even this, it's like, I mean, because it is like really expensive. You got to figure anytime you want to see a shot of that helicopter, you need two helicopters because you need the one that you're shooting. You need the one that the camera's in. And if they're going to be fighting another helicopter, then that's a third helicopter. And, you know, cars are a lot cheaper than helicopters. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, And more dangerous. I mean, helicopters are incredibly dangerous.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it's like, you know, what this ends up being is, yeah, a lot of people running in to conference rooms or whatever and and discussing what the problem is. Maybe you'll have some ground battles with Rolling Thunder. I'm I'm sure that that's why they brought them in. And, you know, even when you do have the aerial battles, it's basically just shots of helicopters flying around, a few um, inserts of, like, machine guns or something like that, and then lots and lots of cutting to inside the cockpit where people are like, "Uh uh-oh, better turn left, better turn left, go shoot him now, you know, and it's like, that's really... Yeah, there's a lot
1: of, there's a lot of cutting to Dana Carvey looking at his uh, computer screen exactly. with, as, as very blocky text pops up, yeah? Yep,
0: and, and that's really kind of boring to watch, you know, this is not exciting, you know, action-adventure television.
1: I'm jamming his radar!
0: Right, exactly. So I don't know. To me it it definitely did not work. I think it was was really boring, but also it was cheesy enough to make it
1: uh watchable. Uh yeah, I wouldn't say it was boring. I would say it was entertaining, but it but terrible.
0: Okay. All right. I guess maybe that's a better description. So, um as someone who has seen the movie and maybe slightly familiar with it. How do you think that this compares to the movie? Was there anything that stood out about this show where it's like Wow, they really had to modify something in order to to make it into a show, or or nothing really.
1: Yeah, well, I the one thing that really strikes me about the movie is that is the tone. I mean, it felt very dark. There were a lot of nighttime scenes, uh, and that sort of thing. And the TV show is a TV show. It's it's everything is brightly brightly lit, and we do a lot of stuff in conference rooms, as you talked about, um, and. Uh, it, it ends up feeling like a lot of other stuff uh, uh, at the being produced at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, c- can we talk about the cast a little bit? Because <laughs> this was definitely the most intriguing part of the show to me. Uh, Dana Carvey, for one thing. Now, everyone's used to him from Saturday Night Live and all that stuff. I mean, actually, I don't know what other stuff there is aside from Saturday Night Live, but Saturday Night Live... Um, but here we have him... The Dana Carvey show, hello. Oh, okay, my bad, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> but here we have him pre-Saturday Night Live in um, a, dare I say, drama, where he is essentially the comic relief,
1: even though he does have some serious moments in here. It- I, again I think it feels like they're tixing, ticking the boxes like we need a comedian you know Dick Buckus and Bubba Smith are going to be kind of the clowns in a lot of ways but Dana Carvey is going to be the guy who gets gets some laughs but he's also this computer whiz and uh, he's the young um, new recruit who has to earn his uh, earn the respect of, uh, of Frank Cheney the James Ferentino character um, so again, it feels like there's nothing wrong with that and that ought to work but um, so, and I think he does a good job with it.
0: Yeah. You know, he's not bad. There's one moment where he starts like doing like Jimmy Stewart impressions.
1: Well, that's Dana Carvey. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do?
0: I guess so. You know, I guess it's, you know, they're just like, we need to, we hired a comedian. We need to let him do his thing. But it did, that did not work at all. When
1: you hire Dana Carvey, you get uh, Jimmy Stewart for free. <laughs>
0: I guess that's true, whether you want him or not. I mean, there were just a few moments in there where it's just like, we need him to be funny. This is funny, right? And, and like, I get the impression that even Dana Carvey would, like, go back and watch that and be like, you guys, you don't know what humor is. Why are you, why am I doing this, you know? I mean, you think that the Dick Butkus stuff on the ground is, is funny, and that's the, the most terrible stuff I've ever seen in my life, you know? But what can you do? And, and and they did make him a computer whiz. And there's like that whole scene where he goes up to the captain or whatever, and he introduces himself, and he's it's like, like this
1: a senator, yeah. Oh,
0: the senator, yeah. And he's like, "What? You don't have a computer? But you're." And then he's gonna teach him how to use a, a computer over the weekend or something like that. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, which I guess that's that was a thing back in the day. I well, it still is. You know, it still is a thing.
1: But what can you do? Now uh, that was 1984. That was right around the time the IBM PC came out and, and the first Mac, I think. Yeah. I think that was that was that same year. So yeah, that it was a that was a big deal.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. It was the start of the computer age or something like that. So now Dick Buckkiss. Uh he, for those people who don't know, he was a former football player, is a former football player. Uh He played for the Chicago Bears. He was uh, a a Hall of Fame linebacker. Um, Many consider him to be the best linebacker ever to play the game. Um, As a Chicagoan, I'm—I mean, as 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 you can see, I'm currently wearing a Chicago Bears sweatshirt, so I'm a Bears fan, and as such, you kind of have to be a a Dick Buckus fan because he really was like the best linebacker of all time.
1: He was certainly the best a cast member of my two dads to ever play football. Yeah, that's probably true
0: as well. <laughs> yeah. And as an actor, I would say that he's totally the best linebacker of all time. <laughs>
1: Those are some pretty painful scenes that he has with Bubba Smith in the the car where they're just shouting at one another.
0: And they're supposed to be playing essentially themselves. I don't know what the thinking was there. Like we have this elite team and we're going to hire these two football players because they're going to be really good at driving around a truck,
1: which is something that they're totally
0: going to want to do since they're like (laughs) retired football players who probably have a decent amount of money, you know? I don't know. I, hey, Shaquille O'Neal, he became a cop,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah. It's it's art imitating life, life in it to imitating art. It's all the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but well, Bubba Smith played a cop in the the, the Police Academy movies.
0: Oh, that's true. That's true.
1: I guess that's just what he's good at, right?
0: I'm not too familiar with Bubba Smith myself, honestly, because um, you know he was on the Colts or something, and what I don't know anything about them, but. So I and mean, what did you think about the, 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 these scenes? Because to me, the, these were the most entertaining scenes in the show, even though it was kind of like watching a train wreck, you know?
1: <laughs> That's a very good description, <laughs> yes. The two of them were just calling each other mean, like, you're the mean one. No, you're the mean one. It's just a, just a very strange attempt at, uh, at, at bickering. And their, uh, their at,
0: line delivery is just the worst. Like, they do not <laughs> know how to read dialogue to save their
1: lives. Yeah, to hear the two of them arguing over the the computer data bank, uh, <laughs> it was uh, was comical in itself. Yep, yep, but worth checking out still, I would say.
0: So I, I should have asked you this up front, but I'll ask you this now. Um, Jerry Taylor. Uh, this is why we're doing this this show. It's because of Jerry Taylor, and uh, you know she was the creator of Voyager, and uh, she ran the last two seasons of Next Generation, which, you know, I, I personally think are, like, two amazing seasons of Next Generation, and I know that, that your familiarity with Star Trek tends to skew more towards, like, the original series, but have you seen any
1: of uh, Voyager?
0: Oh, sure. I watched Voyager uh, a fair bit, yeah. Yeah? What, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the show?
1: Uh, I liked that one uh, quite a bit, uh, much more so than uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, okay, all right, uh, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> because it it felt like more adventure, whereas Deep Space Nine felt more like um, this static uh, drama. And um, I don't know if there was that much difference between them, but that's the impression that that I got. Uh, I just like the I don't know I like the interplay of the different. Uh, Different races and stuff on uh, on that show.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess it'll be refreshing to, I mean, since we are doing a series about the Voyager creator, it's nice to have some Voyager love on this show because it doesn't really get much from the three of us normally. But uh, my question here for you now is, <laughs> this may sound ridiculous, but since voyager is taylor's baby voyager probably is the most taylor thing of anything on television ever in her career do you see any of voyager in blue thunder
1: wow oh, man. uh man let me uh let me search my databank um gosh uh i can't uh no no i i feel as though she matured um, over time and developed a better, uh, more complex show uh, when she created Voyager. Can I say that?
0: Yes. I I would agree with that. No, I mean, like, if you look at Quincy, and, you know, we talked about this last week, like, the, basically the last season of Quincy was uh, it looks like very much uh, Taylor's season. Like, she wrote all of the key episodes from that season. She created, like, the the main love interest who Quincy marries and and did, like, the whole arc. You know, she wrote the first episode, the last episode, the one where Quincy gets married. And, like, you do see a lot of um, Taylor trademarks in Quincy Season 8. But... I'm not seeing any of them here. I really think that this was just kind of a job that she took because it was a paycheck and her her pilot fell through. And, you know, uh, I don't know whether or not she was, you know, dating Messinger at the time, but obviously she um, was very fond working with him at the very least since they had worked together on on Quincy. And, you know, since he was working on this as co-executive producer, she's probably like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Why not, right?
1: Yeah. It, the show feels uh, lo- not like it is crafted with love and care, but rather that it's put together by a committee um, based on a movie in order to satisfy the same kind of demographic that uh, a lot of other shows like Knight Rider and that sort of thing were, were, were aiming for.
0: Yeah. The the only thing that I would say about it, which does seem similar to Taylor's other stuff, and I think that this is more a product of the time than of uh Taylor's tastes or anything like that, is that it is rather formulaic, you know, and it seems to have, and I'm not saying that necessarily in a bad way, because I mean like Quincy's formulaic, but it has a really good formula. You know, Mm -hmm. next week we're going to be talking about Magnum P.I. and that has a, you know, a really good formula, but um, it's formulaic, in in the same way that Voyager is too, I think. Unlike, say, Deep Space Nine, which has more of a continuing storyline it you know voyager is more episodic in nature Mm -hmm. that's the only similarity i see to any of of taylor's work in in this here but i think that's just coincidence more than anything
1: yeah she also did jake and the fat man are you going to address jake and the fat man at some point
0: we want to however the season that she worked on is the one that hasn't been released on uh DVD or Blu-ray or anything. So uh, that was
1: that was a pretty good show, as I recall. I, I like that one. That's
0: what I heard. That's what I heard. I, I'm I'm kind of sad that we're gonna have to skip over it, but.
1: But that was quite episodic, uh, it, of itself. Um, um, William Conrad and Joe Penny mm-hmm. uh, as uh, as detectives.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to see it. I, I really do because I remember the commercials for that and everything when I was a kid, but I never actually watched it just because I was too young. But oh well. Maybe one day. So,
1: any final thoughts on Blue Thunder? I think it was a, a very interesting, if not valiant, attempt at uh, what it was what it was trying to do, and it, which was entertain me. I mean, it was it was squarely aimed at me in 1984, <laughs> to be sure. And I, I'm kind of shocked that I missed it because uh, I was a big Airwolf fan, and. Um, uh, maybe less so stuff like, uh, Magnum PI and, and the A-Team, but I, I watched them. Um, and, uh, I, I certainly liked the, the movie. So, um, I, I'm a little surprised that it, that it did not come together and, um, ended up in the, uh, the bargain bin, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are you planning on going back and
1: watching the, the other 10 episodes? probably not no. um, but I, I'll tell you what I what I can see I could see a Blue Thunder TV show being remade now I could see that working uh, although it doesn't seem like there's a
0: lot of Blue Thunder love going around these days you know uh,
1: it does suffer from that um, 1980s sort of paramilitary patriotism kind of uh, kind of a feeling to it so it would have to be maybe couched in a slightly different way you'd have to repurpose blue thunder to, um, instead of being, instead of Los Angeles police work, um, because Lord knows the Los Angeles police don't need any, any more military <laughs> equipment. Uh, um, <laughs> it, it could be aimed at something else, um, tangential to police work. Yeah. I mean, given the events of, well,
0: the past day, uh, it seems like a show like, uh, <laughs> blue thunder might not, uh, Fly in in today's climate, but well, well said. <laughs> but what can you do? Yeah, I, for me, I, again, you know, I, I don't think that it's a good show by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't hate it like like I, I hate some shows because you know, as as Max is fond of saying, the worst a thing can be is boring. And Blue Thunder, for for all of its problems, is really not boring. It's just, yeah. uh, it's just kind of.
1: Um, dumb, but in a fun way. One thing that Blue Thunder seems to be missing a, a bit is a female character. <laughs> it, it's kind of all men. You know, James Ferentino and Dana Carvey, Dit Butkus and Bubba Smith. Uh, you had Sandy McPeak as, the, as Captain Breddock. Um And I think I think later on they tried to introduce a couple of female characters, but man, it was really missing that uh, that touch from the beginning. That's for sure.
0: Right. There, there's there's a couple of extras. There's that one woman who Dana Carvey's flirting with. I think she has a line, so that's cool.
1: That's right. Yeah, I think it is no. <laughs>
0: But yeah, which is weird because, I mean, one of the things that we talked about uh, with Taylor's work, you know, on both Quincy and Star Trek is that she, you know, does a really good job of introducing uh, female characters into otherwise male-dominated television. You know, with with uh, Star Trek, she created the first female captain. And with Quincy, she introduced uh, the character... Uh, of his future wife who, unlike a lot of the other characters that um, seem to have been on that show, she's, you know, like a psychiatrist who's, you know, kind of like um, an equal to Quincy in, in as far as uh, his detecting skills are concerned and all that stuff. And then um, if this uh, Barry Newman show had ever uh, been picked up, they were setting it up so that she would actually be a regular on that show, as well. But here, yeah, there's nothing. I don't know. It's it's really strange. But uh, what can you do? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that if it, if it had continued, she would have started introducing more female characters. But um, it is very strange. You're right. Well, it's been fun talking about Blue Thunder today, but that isn't the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.fm, standard orbit. But instead of it being a human being prejudiced against Vulcans because the Romulans look like Vulcans, the Vulcans are taking advantage of themselves looking like Romulans. In order to be racist against Romulans, Earl Grey. So he's got the two armrests, and the right one says little, you know, ensign, you know, Lamont, and a little arrow. (laughs) And the one on the on the left says Lieutenant Commander
0: Data, (laughs) a little arrow. The orb. But when they pull away from that window with Jake and Kira, and they pull away from the station, it's like they're closing the book. They're they're actually closing the back cover of the book, and it's the end
1: of the story. To the journey. How do you feel, Char, about the Borg queen? Oh boy. I think the longer that I have watched Star Trek, the more I'm in the camp of, I don't know if I like her. The ready room.
0: They want you to come across on Archer's side where he can be mad at Trip, but I have a really hard time being Archer being mad at Trip because... Just think of if we still treated, you know, people of a different race
1: like this. Mission Log, a Ronberry Star Trek podcast. That can honestly be the reason they brought Wesley, because Wesley's got nothing else going for him there. I mean, yes, he can lead those kids, but that's just going to be by virtue of his age. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he's 15 years old. Of course, all the other kids are going to look up to him, at least for a while. then if he ends up being a total tool, then they won't. Commentary, Trek stars. Yeah, the yeah, well, learning
0: curve was never meant to be a season one finale.
1: They were gonna do the thirty sevens, and then UPN wanted to open season two with it, and that totally didn't work either. Man, you gotta, you gotta say UPN really ooped it up. Literary treks. What Jerry Taylor talks about with Catherine Janeway's life
0: is it's kind of a series of her relationships. I mean, she should be doing all sorts of fantastic things, right? And instead, we're learning about her boyfriends.
1: Melodic treks. But there's a whole host of, of people that appear in Star Trek. As I said, most of it is classic courses for Dave Vivaldi, Strauss, Troy Scoutska, um, Harry Kim. The 602 Club.
0: This really does have an impact on I think the entire you know comic book world. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns still have a huge impact in the way that people view batman today
1: and that's what else is happening on trek.fm
0: check out these shows and find out what, what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the shows as they search on iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. One way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's patreo dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, there's two billion ways for you to do so. You can uh, fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact. Uh, You can leave us a voicemail. Just look on the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You know... Still waiting for a voicemail. No one's ever given us a voicemail. I keep on asking for it. One of these days. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM where you'll find the Babel Conference. That's B-A-B-E-L. Just type that into the search field on Facebook and uh, that's our little forum for for TrekFM listeners. Now, Tisto, where can people find you?
1: Uh, they can find me at tisto. dot
0: com, t y s t o. dot com. Excellent, and yes, you you have got what tons of of commentaries on there for for movies and TV shows, right? Like a couple, more than two hundred, as a matter of fact. More than two hundred, and you do Star Trek stuff on there, and 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 Drew uh, from from Standard Orbit, he's been on a couple of your commentaries
1: too, right? He has, yeah. Uh, not on one of the Star Trek ones, but uh, but we've talked about other films, and we have a great time.
0: Yeah. So be sure to go over to Tisto.com and check those out. Seriously, really, really good commentaries. Way better than our commentaries, so check them out.
1: That's very kind. (laughs) (laughs) And generous,
0: and perhaps a lie. No, it's not. It's (laughs) totally the truth. (laughs) And as always, you can find me uh, right here on Trek FM, where I do uh, Standard Orbit with Drew each week. And you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where I do... Commentary Track Stars off topic with Max and Brandon and you can find me on Twitter at mumbles3k and you can also find us on Twitter at comtrackstars or you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek Stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. They've even got Amazing Tales from the Chicago Bears Sideline. Um, For for those people who may not be familiar with Dick Butkus's work outside of Blue Thunder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Here's the description. This is a collection of tales about one of the most storied teams in professional football and the men who made it that way. Fans of Dub Bears will enjoy the tales of legends like Dick Butkus, Walter Payton, Mike Ditka, Danimal Hampton including revealing forwards written by the latter two icons. From training camp to locker room, playoffs to parties, these are the stories sure to inspire nostalgia. Performer Tony Crane has a knack for taking on different voices and really brings alive these classic stories from sports history. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and the network. Well, that's it for Blue Thunder. Uh, Unfortunately... It only lasted one season, otherwise maybe we could dedicate another episode to the show. It was really going to hit its stride in season two, I could feel it. Yeah, it was, it was one of those shows that just ended before its time, kind of like uh, um, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip or, or things like that, or Star Trek, the original series, right? Oh well. Maybe Netflix will pick it up, right? I mean, that's their thing, right? That would be great. Like Arrested Development, Longmire, Blue Thunder. Entirely
1: possible. It'll happen. It'll happen.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining me, Tisto. Um, And um, yeah, be sure to go to Tisto.com and and check out uh, Tisto's commentaries because they're great. And we will be back next week to discuss Jerry Taylor's third television production, Magnum P.I.,